Welcome to the next edition of the Recruitment Finance Podcast in association with Azuki Accounts. I am Puna Mawani, Director at Azuki Accounts, and today we will be talking to Rob Quirk on all things marketing. Rob is Marketing Director at Tempting Ventures and looks after their portfolio of clients. Hi, Rob. How are you today? I am very well. Thanks for asking, Puna. I'm very good indeed. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, perhaps you could just start by introducing yourself and explaining a little bit about your awesome background. Thank you very much. Okay, cool. Well, um, yeah, really appreciate you inviting me onto the, the podcast. Been listening to a few, really enjoy them. Um, so I've been in marketing and advertising for maybe 12 to 13 years. And I've been lucky enough to build marketing departments at Spence Rogdon, Harnham, um, but also experienced it on the agency side. So prior to that, I worked at several agencies servicing a range of B2B and B2C clients. Um, but right now, as you say, I'm uh, building out the marketing function at Tempting Ventures, uh, consulting with a range of uh, businesses in our portfolio who are brilliant um, and helping the origination as well of new investment opportunities. Amazing. Um, how important is it for sales, marketing and finance to be aligned and working together? Won't be surprised to know. It's very, very, very important. <laughs> but I think for me, the, the, the mantra for all of this is investing money in the right places to enable businesses to grow. And this is all about working towards a common goal, being supportive, collaborative, and all those areas needing to work together. But what breaks down sometimes that I've seen, certainly in my early days in recruitment, is when marketing failed to speak finance's language Finance hold the, like, the main strategic position in a business. So it's marketing's responsibility to speak their language, to be able to contribute at, at that high level and work in collaboration with the sales team, well, sales directors, business owners, and the, the, the finance function. So I remember when I started at, uh, at Spencer Rogdon, you know, just terms that you take for granted now, PPH, EBITDA, I'm writing notes and being like, I need to research this, no idea what they mean. But the minute you get up to that level, you're, you're really able to contribute. Um, and I think it's an effect of marketing in general, because if I, if I look, look at my role now and how it has been for, for the last few years, I'd say about 20% is creative. So I can't rely on, on my creative talent um, to communicate ideas and success because 70 to 80% of it is more around the quantitative side, all around the analysis of things. And that's, more, that's actually a reflection in how data-driven marketing has become, but it allows marketeers to be able to speak very sort of analytically, quantitatively to senior stakeholders and finance, just as long as, as, as you speak their language. Um, so yeah, super, super important. I think as well, another key point is, um, is having a common thread with the, um, with the systems that you use, particularly the CRM. So understanding that marketing's inputs are the same as finance's inputs. The stuff you're reporting on is the same as, as finance as well. Um, you know, so in this, in the way that finance track contract to growth, profit turnover, written, whatever those key metrics are, you need to be plugged in as a marketing department to those key metrics as well, and then reporting on them um, in the same way. So sharing data sources, um, segmenting businesses in the same way is a really important one. So sometimes I find that finance define an area of the business different to how marketing or sales might be. And it's very important to align all those so that you know, sales, marketing, finance can integrate together, but particularly the starting point of marketing, which is doing a lot of the input and finance, which is doing a lot of the output and the analysis of that once it's gone through the sales process. So that's how I see sort of that all aligning and working together. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And I, and I agree with all of those points. I know when we both worked together at Spencer Ogden, one of the things we developed was reporting for in terms of finance. We helped mm. you develop reports um, to, I guess, support a lot of the initiatives that you were doing. Um, and I think we had a monthly report that we would produce to kind of help you with the costs incurred versus the return on investment, etc. Yeah, so, that's right. Um, and it was very um, it was very dynamic in that we were making decisions sort of month to month, quarter to quarter based on those um, so they're really helpful as well yeah um, there's a common misconception that marketing is all about the promotion of the business and many fail to see the importance of marketing the service itself and its place in the market how do you see this working well yeah so you're absolutely right misconception is marketing is all about the promotion of the product or the service Whereas if you do a bit of sort of go back to marketing 101 stuff and, and you look at um, a common term that's used as the marketing four P's, actually promotion is just one of those four P's. You know, marketing can help with, with the first P, which is product, um, helping to define services and verticals. Um, and marketing has a wealth of intelligence, such as, you know, being able to identify candidate short markets, able to look at their own data and identify, you know, um, companies that have been hiring, um, and then even uh, doing competitor analysis. I do, and I have done, and still do a lot of competitor analysis just to make sure that the services that we've got are um, are in alignment and hopefully excelling what what other people are offering. Um, price is also an interesting one. Now, marketing can't really influence price too much, but where we can come in is try and enhance products and try and drive up price points or. Or, or, or margins. So um, in the past, I've done things like uh, implement technologies to help uh, consultants sell retained or um, project-based work. So implementing something like a hint, uh, hint interview on Audro um, that will obviously enable clients to uh, do video conferencing and interviewing and all that kind of thing. Um, employee branding as well. As a marketing professional in recruitment, you've got to be uh, an employee branding expert. So that's a product straight away that you can package up and sell to clients. And we have done and do attempting ventures with, with great success. And just back to the point of marketing intelligence as well, being able to leverage that as a product in its own right and allow marketing to, to help you produce the, those marketing intelligence pieces. And then the last thing is place. So, um, so for me, marketing can really help identify, you know, key markets, locations, but also really give a lot of insight into the channels that customers are operating in both online and offline and as well contribute to strategy um, uh, and, and service development uh, for that as well. So really the whole sphere of product, price, place, and then promotion being the, the last piece of the puzzle. Absolutely, fantastic, thank you. Um, how do you go about putting together a marketing budget and how do you monitor this throughout the year? Kind of make it up as I go along. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like finance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I think straight off the bat, marketing needs to know need to know why they've been given a budget and what's expected of them. And this goes back to the collaboration point at the top. You've got to have really frank and, and honest discussions around what's what's expected. Um, and yeah, and, and allow marketing to offer their, their expertise in those discussions as well. Um, I think marketing often are very close to the implementation of products and see them working in real time, but being able to take a step back and look at the bigger picture and have those more macro discussions with, um, with the finance team um, are really important. So on that sort of macro view of, of how a marketing budget set up, 
Um, obviously everything's done sort of annually, but then it's a case of breaking it down by quarter and then by month. So understanding either, you know, is your budget going to be a percentage of NFI? It could be based on your last year's spend and the ROI you got from that, or just what you're comfortable to spend. That's not really, that's often out of marketing's control where marketing can have much more control is how they monitor and adapt it during the course of the year. So, um, you know, Spencer Ogden, it was very much quarter to quarter, half to half. You know, back then when we had big annual contracts with front load at the start of the year, look how we looked at, look how good we looked coming into H2 and then adjust the marketing budget for the second half of the year. What I've been doing recently though, um, particularly at Tenting Ventures, is being a lot more reactive and looking at it quarter to quarter uh, or even month to month in many cases. Um, and just being a little bit more agile um, and then being able to, you know, in a heartbeat, just shift strategies and also having, I think it's also a reflection of the current climate, trying to avoid those big cumbersome 12 month contracts, putting in break clauses where you need to, but, but trying to get those contracts down to three to six month rolling contracts really enables you again to be a little bit more reactive and adapt quicker in, in this sort of really volatile market we're in at the moment. Absolutely. And it's one of the questions that I get asked quite a lot when we go to do um, client budgets. Um, and that is, you know, marketing, how do we, you know, how do we set a marketing budget and how do we monitor this? And the thing I will say is it has to be measurable. You know, it's so hard to sometimes see, you know, tangible money and I you know I'm the numbers gal so I'm yeah. constantly getting asked well how much you know am I going to be generating from me spending this and it's really difficult so um you know I would always say make sure that when you're monitoring against back against your marketing budget it's something that is measurable um and so go away is that statistics that you can get from the website from other you know channels etc but that can be quantifiable yeah definitely yeah fantastic um do you usually work with finance to do your forecasting or is that something that you kind of usually do um, within your own team and then feedback? How does it usually work best? Yeah, it varies from from sort of business to business. It depends how how granular the, the business needs and wants to be. Um, you know, we, we obviously, you know, when we're forecasting, we look at the, the, the toolkit that we've got um, and, you know, the practicalities of going to finance and, you know, helping us identify areas of the business that need growth, where that headcount's going to be. Obviously, those discussions need to be ha need to be had so we can forecast where investment needs to be made late down the year when hopefully the headcount growth happens. Um, and then vice versa with those sort of larger conversations, you know, marketing, providing information to finance and maybe just saying, you know, there's an area of growth here, but we're seeing a very candidate short market here you know, um, job advert response rates are looking great. The consultants are really engaged. Maybe that's an area because like I say, marketing often are often very near to the coalface than, than finance are. So that real intelligence, even around what's happening in the company. So uh, marketing can help finance for forecasting and say, look, there's areas of the business that we know, you know, through our internal comms or engagement surveys that aren't actually as engaged as you think they are. And they need a little bit of TLC before we sort of grow out that team or, or at least a consideration around, you know, the, the, the culture of, of that area of the business. Um, but going into a little bit more detail, I think that's where marketing needs to take ownership of forecasting month to month, uh, quarter to quarter 
and and not just making the marketing director or manager whoever it is in the business accountable but making people within their team accountable of forecasting their own figures and hitting it because if you own it you want to hit it rather than being given an arbitrary number in which you've you've got to hit and you don't really understand the reason why and one thing that i really enjoy doing is ensuring that everyone in the marketing department understands that what they're doing forecasting wise and what what they're trying to achieve relates to the bigger picture of driving revenue growth, growing a contractor book, becoming more profitable, whatever it is that that key business objective is, and just plugging them into that, um, again, just to helping them be a part of that of that journey and ensuring that, that their forecasts um, are needing to be accurate and needed to be hit, basically. It's not just some number that you throw out. Yeah, we deal with a lot of uh, business owners that don't like to involve marketing in the numbers side. Um, and, and say to them, oh, they don't need to worry about that. You just give us that report, we'll deal with it. And actually, I think that's a big mistake because I think the marketing you know, people in, in any company should be involved in understanding A, the costs associated with what they're doing and what, what revenues they're generating for the business. Because I think actually all of that strategy comes into play when you're coming up with your, you know, your bigger picture ideas as to what, what the business needs to do. So I, I would always urge business owners to get marketing involved and you know maybe it's an education piece for them to understand what the numbers how they all pull together and and integrate and you know um, what it means for them but I'd rather do that upskilling exercise so that they're all bought into the same goals as the business owners than trying to exclude them from that you're right and there's a massive piece there you're right on upskilling um like I say a lot of marketeers can get lost in the in these board meetings if they're given the opportunity or these very strategic discussions um but the potential value that they can give in those meetings far outweighs the time and effort that you put into to upskill them on, on, on a few sort of bits of terminology and, and business objectives. Yeah, 100% agreed. Um, are there any key ratios that you would recommend that businesses should be using to assess whether they're spending the correct level on marketing based on the figures and size? Um, yes, I think when when a business is, is, is a young business and starting out, um, you know, cash is king and, and revenue generation from, from marketing tools is, is the number one priority. So normally what I like to do with, with, with a marketing budget is separate it between revenue generation budget and sort of, I guess, the more fluffy brand building budget, which, which is important, but in a company that's quite young is not as important as just getting money through the door and establishing the business. So with that, I think building an ROI model um, with finance is very important because then there's no skepticism at all. Marketing can sometimes come to the table with these ROI numbers and revenue generation numbers and people are like, where have you got that from? You never want that question coming up. So it's really important that you build any, any ROI model or, or any, I guess, success metric model, whatever you want to use with finance or the business owners straight off the bat. And then um, a very important thing that um, marketing needs to plug into very quickly in young businesses is average deal size. Um, because you often get a, a situation in, in marketing where, you know, you, you, you're either generating a lot of revenue, but the very big deals um, and you sort of miss the fact that you're only hitting a couple of placements a month or, or whatever, or it's the flip of that. You're generating, you know, not a lot of revenue, but actually because, you know, the contractors and, you know, low margins or whatever, you're actually doing, you know, a better job than, than, than the stats would actually allude to. So, Going down into like what you would expect ROI wise from different tools, I'd say in its infancy, when a company first takes on LinkedIn, you really want to get 
sort of over 10 times ROI within the first year. Um, that goes anything from recruiter licenses to um, just the simple sort of premium stuff that you can get. But then as a business grows, you'd want to get that over 20 times ROI, 100%. And for job boards, um, again, this is hugely, you know, dependent on the sectors that you're in. But traditionally, um, young businesses, I've worked from anywhere from sort of five to 15 times ROI, and then up to 30 or 40 times as the business, you know, grows considerably sort of that sort of five plus year um, marker. Um, but then things really get different when you look at sort of driving uh, revenue from the website and the database. So when a brand is, when the business is in its infancy, you're going to get very little from the website and your database because you're growing it and trying to establish yourself. And often the website infrastructure isn't as good as a large company who's invested more. So I think you kind of take that off the plate a little and understand that's going to be something that comes into play in later years. But when you do activate as something that you want to um, start driving genuine revenue for the business. Um, certainly in the business I've worked in, if you've got a website generating sort of 10 to 20% of your revenue each month, that's, that's a pretty good result. Database wise though, I really think the ambition, particularly a business that's five plus years needs to be 30%. Um, that's really what, what gives you the real value knowing that, you know, you can bring in consultants into your business and plug them into that database and immediately generate revenue from those like market ready candidates that know you and trust you and connect them to those clients who are already, you know, got term signed and, and, and ready for those, you know, CVs to come through. Um, but obviously very different for a new company that, that can't rely on that, on that database. Um, so very different landscape, depending on where you are as a business. And it's really an opportunity for you to, you to, to inwardly be very honest with yourself and, um, and understand exactly what you need to get out of the different marketing tools and, and adjust that every year as your company grows and expectations grow, investments change, that kind of thing. Yeah, amazing. We often deal with um, owner managers that uh, who you know are, are not the most patient and want to see results instantly. Um, how do you kind of manage their expectations in, in you know, really being reasonable in terms of what they can see as return on investment with marketing spend? Yeah, the when is often so often overlooked when it become when it comes to looking at ROI um, because you're right, it's just now, now, now we need to happen. But it doesn't work like that. You don't flick on a switch and then the money comes, you know, flowing through the tap. Um, it does vary between if you're looking at your revenue generation budget or your branding budget. I think revenue generation can happen very quickly. You know, it's very fluid. It's it's reactive. Whereas your sort of branding budget, it's more. I guess it's, it's more fixed and it's long-term, you know, um, it will generate revenue because, you know, you connect brand image to customer loyalty, to staff loyalty, and ultimately that affects cash flow and profit. So you can look at that in the serious long-term. Um, but any investment that's done in, you know, the branding half or portion of your, of your budget um, needs to have a much different appreciation that that revenue or that ROI will only come in. In a, in a matter of long, many, many months or even years, whereas the revenue generating budget, it all depends on, on the contract size, the kind of product that you've got. Um, but I think, um, yeah, it's, it, for me, it's, it's all about investing in a product that can overlay on really good existing processes and that's gonna solve a business problem. Before you invest any money, you've, you've got to really scrutinize that because people, particularly with the amount of marketing tools available now, just get all the nice flashy, shiny stuff and it's failed before it's even started and you're never going to see ROI on that. So if you've got those established processes and you know that the product you're coming in is going to fix a problem and can easily be integrated, right, tick. 
The next thing you've got to appreciate is um, any technology or marketing tool that comes into a business has a very similar sort of life cycle in that the adoption normally takes about a third of the time. So maybe three to four months for if you've got a tool that's running for a year. Then you get the, the wins coming through, people adopting it, uh, champions in the business saying this tool's great, I'm making a lot of money. In sort of the second third and then the final third is where the ROI spikes and makes up for that dip in ROI at the start. So when you onboard tools, it's important to not expect revenue ROI within a short space of time, but you've got to scrutinize lower down the funnel to A, candidates getting added to the database, interviewings, interviews being done with those candidates in the first sort of two to three months. You're seeing those green shoots, keep doing what you're doing, those wins will come, and that's when you see that sort of escalation happen afterwards. And so I think if you can, if you can manage expectations on the sort of sales director side, the finance side, that that's normally how a marketing tool looks when it's integrated into a business and you've got those appropriate monitoring points early on that isn't revenue, but more to do with the actual candidate quality and are they going into process? It's a much more sensible way of looking at an investment as opposed to I need 20 times ROI in the first two months because it's not going to happen. No, I agree. Oh, well, thank you so much, Rob, for joining us. Um, if people wanted to get in touch with you, how can they? Um, best thing is, yeah, just look me up on, on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, at Rob Quirk. Thank you. And thanks so much for listening. Remember, if you are interested in finding out more about what we do at Azuki Accounts, please visit our website, azukiaccounts.com, or find us on social media. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to this podcast. <laughs>